The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. In um, leading up to, Lord willing, going through the Gospel of John, we've been trying to go through a topical survey of 1 John, and uh, I want to have a few more messages on that. I hope I'm not belaboring the point, but I do believe there's a great connection there with themes that are in the Gospel of John that he expounds on and gives further information on in 1 John. And this evening, we would like to focus on the new birth. And I was just thinking, sitting there during the song service, sometimes we take things for granted about what people understand. And maybe I can break this down from bare level bones this evening, because I know sometimes we say the new birth and being born again, and you assume primitive Baptists understand that. And maybe we can focus on that and expound on that this evening. Uh, Let's go to John chapter 3, beginning the Gospel of John, and then we'll make our way to a few verses in 1 John. And we all know John chapter 3 really well, or at least I believe that you do. The interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, and he comes to him by night, and Jesus introduces this topic here in John chapter 3 and verse 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't go into heaven, you can't go into the presence of God in an eternal sense without having a change of your soul but you also don't have the ability to see and to perceive the kingdom of heaven here in time unless you have been given those spiritual eyes to be able to see as well. Our soul, you know, we, there's many verses that describe uh, God taking out a heart of stone and then giving us a heart of flesh. And when we talk about the flesh and we talk about the, the nature that we have in our uh, totally depraved state, In our core inner being, that is the wickedness that resides in our soul, okay? I want you to understand that. That, it says, um, Jesus says quite a few times in the Gospels, that it's out of the heart come adulteries and fornications and murders. It's a corruption of the heart that ultimately exhibits itself in external actions, okay? So that is the wickedness of natural man's soul. So what is, what is uh, regeneration? What is the new birth? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There has to be a total renovation, a total resurrection. It's described as a new creation. And it's described here as being a new birth. And God literally gives us a regenerated soul because that soul has to be changed before it's fit for the presence of God. Okay. Uh, For us to be in heaven, there were many aspects of the covenant of redemption that were necessary for us to be saved. But the vital application of salvation on the soul is necessary because um, the, the resurrection and the glorification of our bodies will not happen until the second coming of Jesus. Something has to happen to our body for it to be fit for the presence of Jesus. But something has to happen to our soul, right? For it to be, our our soul is wicked and corrupt in our 
uh, in our natural, totally depraved state. And it's amazing to think about the fact that truly to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no purgatory. There's no in-between state that you got to hang out here and you have to do something to your soul to be fit for the presence of God. Immediately when we pass away here in this world, our soul goes immediately into the presence of of God, and it's amazing that our soul, as it sits inside of these sinful, corrupt bodies, our soul, after regeneration, is perfectly pure and it's perfectly fit for the presence of God right now. But that had to happen for uh, for when we do die, our soul to be allowed into heaven, Amen. and that and that same uh, change and and. Uh, new resurrection and new nature has to happen to our bodies before it's present. And I, I don't necessarily know all the logistics of what happened with uh, Enoch and Elijah, but their bodies had to have been changed uh, at, uh, for transfiguration or, or uh, translation, for lack of a better term. But when they went up to heaven, their bodies uh, had to have been changed in the same way that our bodies are going to be changed at the second coming and at glorification. Amen. Because that is necessary for God's children to be in the presence of Jesus at the end of time. Okay? So that is necessary, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The wickedness of our soul has to be changed. And we are given a new heart. God writes his laws in our heart and we now have a purity. Now, that's something that 1 John really focuses on is I know that our sinful flesh and our sinful actions cover up sometimes the, the nature of God in our soul that resides inside every born again child of God. But as the regenerated soul sits inside the child of God, it is perfect, and it cannot sin. It's pure, and First John focuses on that. <clears throat> so in John chapter 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, and this whole conversation is thinking on a natural plane, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, why did Jesus introduce uh, the new birth here as a birth? Well, we know that it's certainly not the child's decision to choose to be born, right? right. All of these examples, regeneration, creation, um, a new birth, these are things that are not in the control of the person that is receiving that blessing, right? Amen. We know that, that a child does not choose to be born. Instead, it is of the decisions of others and ultimately according to the will of God. So Jesus emphasizes this again in verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, <clears throat> the except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So you can't see the kingdom of God, certainly uh, can't see Jesus in heaven, and you also can't perceive the kingdom of God here, here in time. But until you are born again, you, you have no capacity to truly press into the kingdom of God. I mean, people that are not born again, that uh, have not been regenerated in their soul, they can be in the presence of others that are in the kingdom, but they're not entering into the kingdom. I mean, there, there have been many people uh, that have sat in a setting of church, sat in the setting of other people who are uh, following Christ, but they don't have that internal 
spiritual desire. They don't have the spiritual. They're in the right location, okay? But the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, right? They're in the right GPS location, but they can't enter into the kingdom. Why? Because they don't have spiritual eyes, you know? Uh, it doesn't mean much to you if you're, uh, you know, if we stand up, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to them, uh, that perish, those that are not born again. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm not interested in going to the reading of a will where I am not an heir to that will. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with me, right? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't spend my time going and listening to reading of wills, you know, uh, unless I think that I might be an heir of the will. Well, well all of a sudden, uh, if you have, by the, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Spirit, you, you have a, a feeling, we find from Romans chapter 8, that now you're a joint heir with Christ. Well, now all of a sudden, I'm really interested in the reading of the will, right? I'm really interested in the preaching of the gospel. But if you're not an heir of the will... I'm not very interested in that will at all. Right. <laughs> Even if that will is read <laughs> in front of me. You know, I've seen a couple of movies where somebody thought they were going to get something and then and then turned out they didn't get what they thought they were going to get. Well, they were in the presence and they thought that there was something applicable to them in that will. But guess what? They didn't get happy for some reason right. when, their, <laughs> when their name was left out. <laughs> well, I'm happy to listen to the reading of the will because I'm an heir of the will, right? Amen. Because I believe to be included in that. So you can be in the right physical location and not enter into the kingdom of God. What's the requirement? You have to have a soul that desires to pursue that. Let's go, uh, keep your finger there, but uh, let's go to Titus chapter 2. And here this describes regeneration as the grace of God Appearing to all men. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, all types of men, all men without distinction, not all men without exception. But when that happens, it is truly a new creation. There is, there is a change in our soul. There's a change in our nature that will be to some degree exhibited in external actions because the things that you used to do that you didn't, uh, you didn't have any conviction about, now all of a sudden you have something that resides inside of you that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. And it doesn't just teach you to not do the bad things. It, it pricks you and moves you to do the good things that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And also, there is something, it says, looking for that blessed hope, and it describes Christ in us as being Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, when Christ resides inside of you, there's something that looks beyond just the natural, tangible things of the world around you. There is something inside of the child of God that lets them feel that they are pilgrims and strangers. And from Hebrews chapter 11, that makes them look toward a better country. I mean, I'm happy to have a nice little, in Abraham's sense, a nice little tent here uh, to live in. I'm, I'm thankful to have a, a three square meals a day. I'm happy to have a nice tent where it doesn't rain on me at night. But I'm, I'm happy that this is not my permanent location. You know, he lived in a tent. And I, I listen, I, I'm not all that into camping, okay? Bethany's going to eventually get me out there. And we're going we're gonna to go camping one of these days. We're, she's eventually going to get me out there. But 
that's not a permanent structure. Uh, because a more permanent structure has central AC, right? This is a lot more comfortable, okay? But if I lived in a tent all the time, if I lived in the tent all the time, I think that I would be very encouraged with the fact that there is a more permanent structure Amen. that I'm going to live in. And wouldn't it be sad if we had this idea described Jesus going up to heaven, you know, preparing mansions for Wouldn't it be sad if he said, I'm preparing you tents in heaven and you're going to stay over in this area for a little bit and then you're going to move over here and then you're going to move over here. You're going to be nomads in heaven. Well, that's not very enticing, is it? It's a whole lot better for Jesus to give us the admonition that I'm preparing for you mansions in heaven, right? right? And the, the idea of a mansion there is that it's a lot better residing place than you have right now. Amen. That's the point of, of him saying mansion right there. So there is something inside of the child of God that, that his, his motives are changed, his convictions are changed because the heart is changed and eventually that's going to come out in actions. It describes, I believe it's in one of Peter's epistles where he says, now all of a sudden you, the people you used to run around with, now all of a sudden they think it's strange that you don't engage in the same excess of right that you used to. What's wrong with you? What's different about you? And sometimes people don't even know yet. People don't even know what's different. I, I, I know that yesterday I did this and I enjoyed doing it. And now I feel horrible doing it. A lot of times they don't understand that until they come in, in, uh, in contact with the word of God and with the gospel. They don't understand what has been done to their soul yet. But the gospel and the word of God informs you about that. Okay? So God changes your desires. He changes your nature. And he... he convicts you for engaging in sin and he exhorts you to live godly and he exhorts you with a vision of the hope of heaven and the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ, okay? Back in John chapter three, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Right? So everyone that's born again is born again in the exact same way. Right. So you can't have exceptions. You can't have exceptions for John the Baptist in the womb. You can't have an exception for the mentally handicapped. You can't have an exception for the third world unevangelized person everyone is born again in the exact same way by the immediate direct working of the Holy Spirit and regenerating their dead in sin's heart solely by the sovereignty and the will of God okay everyone that's born is born the same way and we know when the wind blows we can't see the wind we only see the effects of the wind right so Lord willing the next time when we go through this topical survey we want to focus um, in First John on belief. belief. Belief is active faith. Well, when we see someone believing in Jesus, what says it evidence of? It's an evidence that the wind of the Holy Spirit and the new birth has already blown, Amen. right? Because it's foolishness to those that aren't born again. So if you see the movement of the leaf, then that's an evidence that the wind just blew, right? Amen. When you, when you see someone that used to engage in this activity and now all of a sudden they have a conviction of sin that they didn't have before, um, that's an evidence that the wind blew, that there was something different 
uh, from before and after. I didn't have a chance to, we were traveling, and I didn't have a chance to listen to the interview with Elder Martin Agnani, uh, with Elder Mike Goins on Grace Alone Radio. I hate I missed that since we were traveling, but I've heard his story before, and essentially, very similar circumstance. He was living in a very ungodly way. But then something changed, and he didn't even really understand what changed. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm uh, in, in many areas of his life, in alcoholism and, and very bad situation with his wife and other, other scenarios. These are things I used to engage in yesterday, and I was content doing them. And now, all of a sudden, I feel miserable doing it. You see? That's an evidence that the wind of the Spirit has blown. That's an evidence that his heart has been changed. That's an evidence that his soul has been regenerated, right? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. You have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. And then he goes on to describe the condition that you were in. And then he goes on in, in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Praise God, we've been quickened by the sovereignty of God. Okay? So let's look at some of... Uh, some of that wind blowing. Some of the evidences of the wind blowing of regeneration. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And you may remember, you probably don't, but the theme of the Gospel of John. I'm going to read this for you again. John chapter 20 and in verse 31. This is the theme and the purpose of the entire Gospel of John that we're making our way towards is so that you will see these evidences. That's why the Gospel of John is written differently than the three synoptic Gospels. You will see the evidences of the divinity of Jesus Christ and that you will believe that He is the Son of God. Okay? John chapter 20 and verse 31. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. That's why God moved in the Holy Spirit to pen the Gospel of John in the way that he did is so that you will see these evidences of the divinity of Jesus of being the Son of God and that you will believe it. Okay? So there, here in uh, John chapter 1, he says in verse 11, He came unto his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Okay? Now, keep your finger right there and go to John chapter 5. Okay? John chapter 5 and verse 24. <clears throat> we'll come back to verse 13 in a minute. John chapter 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Right? Present tense possessive. He already has it. He's not on the verge of it. He already has it. Amen. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. There's many people in Christianity today that, says it, that say it doesn't matter what Bible you read. <laughs> Listen, these past tense words affirm that belief is not the cause of regeneration. It is the evidence of regeneration. Right. Okay? And this is so consistent throughout the King James Bible in the New Testament. But not surprisingly, since Satan is so crafty about corrupting God's word, these past tense distinctions are not in many of the other translations. Okay? So, 
in your King James Bible, okay, if you see someone that exhibits a belief in Jesus Christ, that is evidence that they have already passed from death unto life. Okay? Verse 25. Verily, <clears throat> verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. Jesus said, during my ministry, we're right here in the middle of this. We're right here in the middle of this time period and have been all the way since the first person was regenerated back in Genesis. The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Okay? Now, is this an invitation for all the dead people that are willing? Who hears? Let me, let me word this another way. Who hears the voice of the Son of God? Is it all the dead people that are willing to listen to him? Right? It doesn't make any sense. No. Dead people are dead. They don't hear anything, right? They're spiritually dead. So who are the they that hear? Who are they that hear? The people that the Son of God calls, right? I mean, uh, I know you've heard many, many messages on Lazarus, you know? Uh, the great picture of regeneration and then, and then also the purpose of the gospel, loose him and let him go. Uh, but there's a reason why he said Lazarus come forth. You know, I've heard ministers say, and I tend to agree with it, that if he just said, come forth, there would have been the resurrection right then. That's probably what he's going to say when he comes back the second time. He's just not going to name names. He's just going to say, come forth, and everybody's coming out, right? That's what's going to happen at the second coming. But guess what? He called him by name. And by the way, that's what Jesus did uh, on the road to Damascus when uh, Saul of Tarsus was regenerated on the road to Damascus. He said, Saul, Saul. He spoke to him personally. So who are the people that hear? The people that Jesus calls, right? Yeah. The people that he chooses to call in the timing that he chooses to call. The hour is coming now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And we know dead people can't reject anything. They can't accept anything. The only thing they can do is be given life by a higher power, Amen. right? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. You have to be quickened who are dead in trespasses and in sin. We know dead people can't do anything except vote, right? Yeah. <laughs> The hour is coming now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Okay? Past tense. If you see someone that believes, they are past from death into life. Okay. Now let's go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And that word there describes a coming on to the stage, a public display. Uh, God doesn't give you the opportunity to become the Son of God. Why? Well, we have to read verse 13 before we can properly understand verse 12, right? Who are the people that uh, manifest themselves publicly to be the sons of God by belief in Jesus Christ? Who are those people? Verse 13. Which were born. Past tense, right? Right? Which were born. And what was the means of your new birth? And this is arguably uh, the biggest distinction between the historic belief of original Baptist that we take the title of primitive Baptist today, but the original church, the original historic beliefs of the original church and what is so commonly presented in Christianity today. What is the means of regeneration? Right. <clears throat> 
What's the means of regeneration? Did you notice there in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 that it says that the grace of God that brings salvation? Most of Christianity, I've heard um, some ministers say as they're asked the very common question, uh, I'm, a, I'm a primitive Baptist. Well, what's a primitive Baptist? You know, what, what do you believe that, that's different than, than what other people believe? Um, what's the difference between you and any other kind of Baptist? Missionary Baptist, Southern Baptist, Independent, Free Will Baptist, etc., etc. <clears throat> and I've heard quite a few different ministers use this phrase that essentially the things that most people would believe to be the causes of salvation, we simply believe that they are the evidences of salvation. Amen. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. But really what that gets down to is what is the cause of the new birth? Right? right? That's really, that's really the, the real question. What is the cause of the new birth? And most of Christianity will tell you the cause of a new birth, even if they don't word it this way, is a work that you perform. It's something you do, right? You are unregenerate and you pray a prayer and now all of a sudden you're regenerated. Where are you regenerated by God or are you regenerated by work? It, it's right back to salvation by grace or by works. What is the basis of regeneration? And if you do, I mean, the idea that, that someone could say, I believe in salvation by grace, but you have to do something. Okay, let's, let's break this down for a minute. You, you started out unregenerate. You performed an action, and now all of a sudden you're regenerate. What were you, what were you regenerated by? The work, right? I mean, anyone can see that. That's right. I mean, you start out going to hell, unregenerate, you do an action, whether it's belief, faith, baptism, whatever, whatever that, that action is, and then by the time that action's done, now you're a regenerated soul going to heaven. What are you saved by? You're clearly saved by that work, Duh. right? Yeah. Duh. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be, you know, unkind, but what else can you say? Yeah. I mean, it's just like saying... Uh, Dead people are going to accept Jesus. I mean, dead people can't accept Jesus. I mean, it's so simple. But if we are regenerated by something we do, then it's not the grace of God that bringeth salvation. It's the works of man. Right. Which, by the way, what's the basis of how these people were born again? The Bible is so simple when you take it for what it says, right? What's the basis of our being born again? Which were born not of blood. It's not because you're a Jew. Not because you were born a permanent Baptist, not because you were, uh, because of any physical lineage you had, not of blood, right? So whose will is it? And this is this is why people don't like election. When you get down to the to the root cause of why people don't like election, they just don't like it being God's choice instead of their choice. Right? They don't like it being God's will instead of their will. So therefore, God has to submit to my will to choose Him. So what's the basis? Of regeneration, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Okay, well, if we got man out of the equation, what's the only other option? Thank you. Which were born of God. Amen. Right? You know, the idea that, that Jesus wants you to choose him, he is, he is submitting himself to your will. And if you're willing, then I'm happy to bring you to heaven with me. Look, you're not born again by your will. Thank you. You're not born again by your will. And if you were, you'd be saved by works. That's right. Instead, we're born again by the will of God that chose us in the election before the world began. And then he applies that 
regenerating salvation in our soul, not as a wage for a work that we perform, but solely by his sovereignty and his grace and his will. Okay? Many other verses in the Gospel of John, uh, especially those that are peppered all throughout, where it says that those that believe half, they're in current possession of everlasting life. Okay? Many more verses we can, can, <clears throat> could consider. Let's go ahead and go to 1 John chapter 2. Okay? 1 John chapter 2. And this is not directly describing the new birth, but as you read 1 John on your own, again, some of the language is very challenging, but you have to understand, as with really all of the um, epistles in the Bible, they're not written to the world, they're not written to the unregenerate, they're written to God's born-again children in the church, okay? So you have to understand that the audience of every one of these verses are people who are already members of the church that are bought and paid for of going to heaven, okay? So when it says the very popular verse in Christianity, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen to that. But you have to understand, that's not written to an unregenerate person offering salvation. Who's it written to? Chapter 2 and in verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Right. Okay? I write unto you, fathers, verse 13, because ye have known him. They already know God. They already know Jesus. And how do they know him? Because he revealed himself. Okay? Hebrews chapter 8. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest. Yes. John chapter 6 and verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. They're all going to know Jesus, at least in the sense of Abba Father knowledge in the new birth. I write unto you fathers, because you have known him this from the beginning. And I write unto you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, do you think that those little children, fathers, young men, all of them, are these people that are in the peril of hell? Well, no, of course not, right? No, they're born again saved people. But guess who still has a sinful nature that messes up every day? Born again saved people, right? So if we confess our sins, God's gracious to forgive us. But we have to understand that this book, this epistle is written to regenerated, born-again, baptized members of the church, okay? That's right. Now, chapter 2 and verse 27 describes the new birth as an anointing. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. You know, that's something that... Uh, the Lord says in Hebrews chapter 8, they shall, you don't have to go uh, teaching. Now, now we do teach in the sense of preaching the gospel, but you don't have to go to people saying, uh, you need to get born again. You need to know the Lord. No, I will make sure that they will all know me right. from the least to the greatest, right? In the sense of the new birth. 
You need not, man, you need not that any man teach you. Why? Because the Lord's going to take care of regenerating all the sheep. Amen. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Okay? Um, chapter 3 and verse 9. <clears throat> Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. He cannot sin because he's born of God. Now, back up to chapter 1 and in verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, this is why 1 John gets confusing, right? <laughs> uh, if it's not rightly divided. He says over here that if you're really saved, you cannot sin. But yet, if you say that you don't sin, then you're a liar and the truth's not in you. What's he talking about? Notice there in chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, For his seed remaineth in him. What is it that cannot sin? That seed that resides inside of us. Right. Do you think there's any possibility that Christ in you, the hope of glory, can sin? No. no, of course not. Is there any ability for the Holy Spirit of God that resides inside of us to sin? That seed that resides inside of us? He can't sin. It's pure, right? That, that, uh, that purity of soul cannot be corrupted. That purity of soul will remain intact until the Lord comes back the second time. Let's go to uh, 1 John chapter 5 and in verse 4. And, well, let's go ahead and read verse 1 right there because this deals with what we're talking about this evening in the new birth. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him, that, be, that begat, loveth him, that is begotten of him. If you believe, you're already born of God, right? He that believeth is born of God. Verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Okay? Now, we saw over there in chapter 3 and verse 9 that, that if you, there's, there's something inside the child of God that cannot sin. And many legalistic Pharisees take this way too far and say, well, you know what? If you sin, if you fall, if you don't persevere, if you stumble and fall in your walk of discipleship, then that's evidence you were never saved. But what this is describing is the purity of the soul in regeneration that cannot be corrupted. There is, there is faith that resides, the faith of Jesus, that resides yeah. inside of us, and there is no possibility that that is going to be quenched by Satan or quenched by the world. That will overcome the world. Now, what can be overcome, we're called to work out what God's worked in. What can be overcome is our diligence and faithfulness in working that out in the manner that we ought to. But there is zero possibility of the faith of Christ that resides inside of you being quenched and extinguished, right? Amen. And he says there, for whatsoever is born of God. Not necessarily whosoever. Right. It's the seed. It's the soul. It's, the, it's Jesus Christ in you that that's always going to overcome the world. Amen. But uh, Jesus resides inside of us. The Spirit resides inside of us. But sometimes... We do what we're told not to do in the New Testament, which is quench not the Spirit. The Spirit resides inside of us, and just because you're not 
living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, that doesn't mean that you're not born again. But you can quench the Spirit, can't you? You can quench the Spirit. Well, guess what? You can quench faithful faith, too. You can, you can quench faith in your walk of discipleship. That's right. But that nature of faith that resides in your soul, it can't be corrupted. Amen. Why? Because it is truly Jesus inside of you, which is just amazing to meditate on. Okay, we'll read verse 18 to close. We know that whatsoever, <clears throat> excuse me, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, okay? But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Continuing on in verse 19, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in the truth. We know that the Son of God has come. And he hath given us understanding, and we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He says, whosoever is born of God sinneth not. The general disposition of God's children in their walk of discipleship should be to exhibit fruit, should be to live godly. And we, we view that in our courtroom of justification by works, and, and we can have a confidence that, okay, I believe that when they're manifesting in a public way, going back to John chapter 1 and verse 12, when they're manifesting belief and they're manifesting love, okay, I, I believe that they are among God's children. I believe that they're among the sons of God. But it's also a possibility that that inner nature of God that cannot sin, that cannot be corrupted, sometimes they quench the spirit in their walk of discipleship. I mean, there's no better example than Lot, right? right? I mean, you read the Old Testament, and I don't know if anyone, if the Holy Spirit hadn't went out of its way in a couple verses in the New Testament to say he was vexed in his soul, and he had a just soul and a righteous soul, I don't think anyone would put their hand on the Bible and say, you know what, I really think that Lot's in heaven. Because you don't have any basis of it. Okay? But what did he do? He quenched the spirit. He made God, ungodly, sinful decisions. But isn't it amazing to think about the fact that Lot, with all the mistakes that he made, that there was still a perfectly pure soul residing inside of him. And you know what? That perfectly pure soul, it wasn't happy with him living down in the slop of the pig pen. You know, he was down in the, in the figurative Gentile lands out there in Sodom, and he was the son that was choosing to live away from the father's house and living down in the pig pen. And guess what? Lot's soul wasn't happy. It was vexed all the time. Yeah. He was miserable. Now, he quenched. He didn't work out what God worked in. He quenched the spirit. But isn't it amazing to think about the fact that even a child of God that gets in such a deplorable state as that, that that does not affect the integrity of the purity of the soul at all. That you know what? I could see why Daniel or Joseph or some of these other godly men, I could see them being the ones that their soul goes immediately in the presence of Jesus. But you don't know who else's soul went immediately in the presence of Jesus? Didn't have to be cleaned up at all? Lot! <laughs> With all of his problems. But there was something inside of him that was pure. 
And the only reason it was pure was because of Jesus Christ. Amen. The only reason it was pure was because of the new birth and regeneration. And that's true of every single one of us. Amen. The only reason that we have anything pure inside of us is because God chose to put himself inside of us. Amen. Okay? Now, our calling, our calling is now to be faithful to work out what God's worked in. Right? right. We need to exhibit that in a public way. I mean, we are temples that are purchased possessions that are bought and paid for. This is not our own. This is not our body anymore. It's, it's bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And, and this temple needs to reflect that. Amen. May God help us for that temple. You know, think about the temple in the different stages of the temple. There was a time in Solomon's day where that temple was externally beautiful to everyone that walked by. But you know what? There was another time that that temple, because of their disobedience, was totally broken down and on fire. And you know what? <laughs> we, just in case we get a little bit too haughty and saying, oh, this person's not really a child of God. They're not really saved at all. There was a time that you could have walked by that temple and you would have never, never envisioned that there was a temple right there. That's right. Right? Now, that was the temple. It was the location. That was God's place where he, he manifested his Shekinah glory. But there was a time where you walked by and it looked just like any other rubble heap. That's right. Couldn't tell any different. But boy, there was a time though in Solomon's day when they were being obedient that it was evident to everyone. And everybody wanted to come see it too, by the way. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted to come see that. The majesty of that temple. And I pray that our temples can exhibit God's glory in that way. Amen. Unfortunately, there's many, many children of God. I mean, Lot, he was, a, he was a broken down temple, wasn't he? He was a destruction of Jerusalem, totally broken down temple. Right. Well, we don't want to be like that. We, we want to have a temple that is, that is glorifying to the Lord that inhabits that temple. Amen. And I pray God, by his grace, would enable us to live in such a way that people can have, not in a prideful way, but I, I hope that people can... Uh, whoever preaches my funeral would have enough confidence in the way that by God's grace that I've tried to serve the Lord that they can say along with Paul writing to the Thessalonian church, knowing brethren beloved your election of God. I mean, I want them to look at the temple of my life and, and there be enough there to glorify God where I, they don't have to be ashamed to preach my funeral. <laughs> you know, I don't like preaching those funerals where you just, you know, you just have to say, nevertheless, the Lord knoweth them there is. You know, right. I don't like preaching those funerals. <laughs> I like preaching faithful saints' funeral yeah. where we can have a happy time in the Lord. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.